Boom! Mm. There it is, ladies and gents. I don't know about you guys. I grew up playing baseball, love baseball, and today uh -huh. I got a baseball guy here who is in business using all the skills he's learned in his career to teach us more about how it operates in business. I'm so excited to have today's show rocking and rolling all the way from Kansas City. Here we go. Let's rock this thing. Shut up and sit down. The Business Bros Podcast was created for you. Learn from the business professionals who come to share their stories. Find out what's working in business on social media, what's hot and what's not, straight from the mouths of successful entrepreneurs out there doing the real work. And now, welcome to another episode of Business, business Bros. Drop some heat. All right, all you business pros out there. Before we jump into the show, just a quick reminder, as always, to please subscribe on whichever platform it is that you're listening to us on today. Give us a like, give us a follow, subscribe, drop a review, help other like-minded business owners find value from our awesome guests while we rise up in those podcast rankings. We'll sincerely appreciate every single one of you for it. And if you want to be a guest on the show, we'd love to have you on to learn from you as well. Go to www.businessbros.biz, schedule your time, and don't forget to follow us on all our social medias at Business Bros Pod. All right, everybody, we're so excited and honored to bring yet another incredible guest to the Business Bros Pod. Today's guest has loved baseball and broadcasting for as long as he can remember. And as the in-game announcer for the Kansas City Royals, our guest has had the privilege of knowing top performing athletes day after day for more than 25 years. There are so many lessons from athletes that can be applied in business, and our guest has taken the time not only to learn these lessons, but to write them and share them with the world as an author, motivational speaker, and podcast host. Tune in to hear what our guest has learned and how baseball can change the way you play the business game. Joining us today out of Kansas City, author of the book, Small Ball, Big, Re Big Results, and host of the Rounding the Bases podcast. Welcome to the show, Joel Goldberg! All right, Joel, I gotta ask, man, you're a StreamYard guy, you're a podcast guy, what'd you think of the first three minutes of our show, especially being in broadcasting? Well, I mean, I think you guys probably need need a little more energy to what you're doing, a little more creativity. I love it. It's great. Just, just a little that's, bit, that's just a little be, bit more energy. Just, just a little bit more energy. That's the best like uh, standing ovation it. I've ever gotten uh, from a group I don't even know. But no, love it. Ow. High energy. Uh, you know what? The world needs more high energy. Oh, dude, it totally does. I don't know about you guys uh, over there in Kansas City, but uh, here in San Diego, we get the sunshine like all day long. So maybe that's a little bit of where we get our energy from. Uh, but I mean, you you've been in, in media for a while. I mean, let, James James kind of said it on the on the on the intro here. Uh, you you got to broadcast baseball. Like you got to watch yeah. baseball as a career. Interview athletes and celebrities. Like. Walk me through that. First of all, how did you get into that? Well, uh, it, it, believe it or not, it's something I always wanted to do. And I, I'll, I'll back it up by saying, like, probably almost everybody else in my industry and almost every other industry, I did grow up playing baseball. I wasn't very good. I was an average athlete at best. Most of the guys I work with are former big leaguers. And, and so that's who I learned from. But I'll, I'll never sit there and say I was great. I, I wasn't. But I always love talking about it. And, you know, if you can't play it, you might as well talk about it. And so I pursued it. And, and the thing is, is it's an impossible career to get into. 
I get kids all the time asking me about it. And I, and I will never tell anybody don't do it, but you got to outwork everybody else. You've got to go about things the right way because there are only so many spots. I wasn't the best guy coming out of college for it. I outworked. I knocked on doors. I went places I never thought I was going to go. Get your foot in the door, and then you keep going. I started in a tiny, small market doing local news and sports and eventually found my way into the big leagues where I travel with this Kansas City Royals team. I host every pre- and post-game show uh, at home or on the road, wherever we're at. I do every single interview, and I, you know, I'm essentially riding shotgun for season after season, getting a chance to to see the inner workings of this and then share it with fans, and along the way, a world championship and all that stuff. So, I mean, it's it's the greatest job ever. You are one of those staples in Kansas City uh, that like recognized face, right? I mean, you get to you get to be before the show, you get to be after the show. Um, I got connected with Kansas City through uh, Matt DeCourcy and Startup Hustle, uh, and that's how we got connected. I feel like, you know, I've, I've only been to Kansas City one time, and that's when I used to work way back when at H&R Block. Their head offices is down there. Uh, and so yes. that's the only time I've ever been to Kansas City, and it felt like such a small town. What's the community like, and especially coming from someone who gets so involved in, like, the pride of Kansas City? Yeah, shout out to Matt DeCourcy, by the way, who is an entrepreneurial institution here in, in our neck of the woods and then talk about hustle. And that's in the, you know, in the title of his podcast, Startup Hustle. But, you know, it's it is small town. So, you you know, I, I always view this as being like any other city. It's just smaller. You know, you might have a pocket where everybody knows each other or different areas where everybody knows each other. It's not like everybody knows everyone here, by the way, either. It's not like you walk down you know, the street on the other side of town, and you know, everybody, but you're, you're just, you're not as far removed, you know, it's not as many steps removed as someone else. So, you know, how many people do you know, from San Diego to, I don't know, Orange County or somewhere up, you know, I mean, it's like, if I come in and, and cover, cover the Royals and the Angels, how many people are going to know there versus if you come into town and you come to Kauffman Stadium or any venue here in town, there's a good chance I might know somebody there. So it's just smaller, uh, great people laid back, we don't obviously have the beaches and the weather that you have, but we have, you know, we have very dedicated people. They obviously love their sports and more than that as well. It's just a great place to live. It's an easy place to live. And honestly, I, I, I came here 14 years ago for a job, uh, doing the broadcast job that I'm doing with the Royals. And I didn't really know where that would lead me. And, and along the way, I thought, I'm good. Like, I love it here. I don't want to go anywhere else. And then the speaking business, the podcasting and all that came on the side. And that really enabled me to say, you know what? I don't need to go to that next city. I don't need to go back home where I grew up in Chicago. I don't need to try to do that. I love what I'm doing here right now. I love the fact that I do every single one of these shows uh, and have for, for 14 years. Why would I want to trade that in? It's a blessing like to wake up every day and to do the thing that you want to do, to have fun every single day. Uh, but you said earlier, it takes a lot of work. You have to outwork the next person that that is there. Uh, baseball is very much a fundamentals game. I mean, practice and practice and practice some of the basic things, how to catch a ball, how to throw a ball, your feet, you know, everything that, that baseball is, is all fundamentals. And you've you've realized, or in your in your book, in your in your speeches, in your keynotes, you're always talking about how it's a team sport, and you have a specific acronym for team. Can you help me elaborate on that? Yeah, the team. I just I think people remember acronyms. People remember. I mean, when I do a speech, I'm lucky enough that I don't have to go in there to a conference 
and hit all the nuts and bolts that that they have to do, right? I'm not the guy that has to talk about logistics or uh, or or you know legalities and all these things. So I'm a storyteller. And one thing I think that all of us have in common, there are a few things that all of us have in common, no matter what our profession is, is that we all want to be part of successful teams. We all want to be part of winners. And so how do you do that? There, the, talent, the talent part is easy. Either you have it or you don't. And yes, mm-hmm. you can coach people. You can work on the fundamentals. All the fundamentals that you're talking about, the best ones work on them every day. And just a little sidebar to that, I'll, I'll remember a couple of years ago, it was late in the season, the Atlanta Braves were in town for an interleague game. Uh, here in Kansas City against the Royals, and they've already clinched their playoff berth. Nothing is on the line. There's like six games left in the season. The Royals are in second to last place or something like that at that point. There's there's literally nothing on the line. And I hate when people say, well, nothing's on the line because something's always – something everything always matters, whether it's uh, individual accolades, whether it's finishing strong, whatever it is. And here I look over to Ron Washington, the third-base coach of the Braves, former big league manager – arguably known arguably as the best fundamentals coach in baseball. And he's there with the shortstop of the Atlanta Braves, Dansby Swanson in this quote unquote meaningless game. And he's just working on fundamentals, hitting him ground balls while he's on his knees, uh, Swanson over and over and over and over again. And I said afterwards, you know, what are you doing? He goes, these are the things that make championships. These are the things Mm -hmm. that we do every single day if the player is interested in it. And so those are those little things that set people apart. But the one thing you can control, and I think that is so often overlooked, is the culture. Are, are all those you know soft skills that apply to any single business or profession? So how do you build trust? That's the T for me in the acronym of team. The E for me used to be energy. You guys have that, and I cover that in my speeches. I would say that they're, they're, they're the positive energy guys and the negative energy guys, the energy givers and the energy takers. That's true in any locker room, any office place, uh, even in your own household. Um, but but I, when the pandemic started, I switched the E from energy to empathy because I think we all need more of that. Can you walk in someone else's shoes? And that's something that I do every single day. When I walk into a, a Major League Baseball clubhouse or locker room, or nowadays because of COVID, we might just talk to the guys on the field. you got players that grew up in rural areas in the country, urban areas in the country. They grew up with a lot of money, with no money. They grew up speaking a different language and not English from the Dominican, from Mexico, from Puerto Rico, from Venezuela. You don't know how they grew up and you want to learn more about them because we're coming from different places. And that's the E in empathy. The A is accountability. What what I best describe, and Joe Girardi, the manager of the Philadelphia Phillies, formerly of the New York Yankees, once said to me, accountability is taking stuff for others. I describe it as, uh, we always say that there's no I in team. But there is an eye in accountability, meaning I got you. I, I got your back. I, I'm not afraid to admit to, I'm not afraid to take the fall for you. And the best leaders that I've seen in baseball will stand up for their teammates, whether they're right, wrong, whatever it is, I got your back. And then the last piece, M, which is one that I don't hear about in the business world a whole lot, just a different expression, makeup. And, and I hear the Kansas City Royals and other teams use that a lot. They sign a new player. They trade for a player. They draft someone. He's got great makeup. What does it mean? It's really what's on the inside. Are you willing to go the extra mile? Are you a good teammate? Do you pay attention to details? The things that don't show up on the scoreboard, that don't show up in the sales sheet, we're all measured by wins and losses and numbers, but oftentimes we get so fixated on that that we forget the process of what gets there. And when you can focus on the process, when you can focus on the people, when you can focus on these soft skills, 
the rest of it comes into play and ends up taking care of itself. Such a great acronym, team, trust, empathy, accountability, and makeup. Let's kind of break it down, why they're so important. Let's start with trust, for example. Uh, you know, in, in baseball, obviously, there's a different type of connection when you have a team. You, you bleed together, you sweat together, you fight together, you win together, you lose together. The trust oftentimes is built in over time. In business, um, and especially when it comes to a customer coming into your business, building the trust is something that uh, you feel like it should already happen. Like, hey, you know what? I mean, I have a beautiful logo. I have a beautiful sign. I have a beautiful building. You trust me already? It's a little more than that, right? Yeah, it is. And I think that, I, I, I'll put it this way. How many people, no matter no matter what degree we have or don't have or whatever our background is, uh, you know, wh- wh- whether you whether you went to college or grad school or whatever or high school, uh, whatever your background is, whoever taught a course on how to build relationships and trust? <laughs> Nobody. I mean, you know, I, I took a somewhat traditional route for television and I was a journalism major. I tell kids all the time, you don't have to be any of that. Um, you, you know, you, you got to find the work and, and meet the right people and, and get your experience and get your, what I call your, your, your batting practice swings, your reps over and over again. Nobody ever told me how to build relationships with sources and players. Why do the players tell me everything they tell me? Cause they trust me. It's not as simple as, Oh, you're the old, I'm the old guy now. I mean, I, you know, if, 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 if I've been doing it for 14 seasons with this current job, we got guys that are breaking into the big leagues that were seven, eight years old, nine years old when when I started just in Kansas City alone that, that were maybe not even born when I started in this profession. Why in the world would some 23-year-old kid, some 24-year-old kid trust a 49-year-old broadcaster that's as old as their parents? Because I've, I've gone about things the right way. I've treated people the right way. I've done what I said I was going to do. And then that word spreads over time. But here's the other thing. You could throw it away in a heartbeat. So mm. you could take forever building it if you stop paying attention to it. Trust and the overall topic that I talk about, which is culture. And that's what my book, Small Ball Big Results, is about. Small balls, the little things. What I just explained with Ron Washington. What are those little fundamentals, whether it's baseball or whether it's anything in life, business? What are those little things that you work on every day? It's like going to the gym. You know, you don't go to the gym every day. You, you're not going to see the results. I'm probably not one that should be preaching about that, but because it's, you know, January of 2022 or the start of a year, I'm on a good kick right now. Let's see if I can do it for the whole year and make it a habit. And that's, that's what those little things like trust are. It's an element to me of small ball. You can't work on trust every single day and then suddenly say, okay, I checked that box. Let's move on to the next thing. It takes every single day. So I, I like to describe trust as uh, I speak to a lot of banks as a bank deposit, right? We all know how the banks work. You you deposit money so that when you want to go in and take out some cash or write a check, there's money in there. But if you take out too much and stop putting in the deposits, what happens? Oh, the bank will help you out for a fee, but you know, you're going to be penalized for it. So it's the same thing with building trust in any type of profession or organization. If, if I stop doing it, let me, let me give you this example. You see guys in the world of sports and baseball come and go. Right. If they if they play out their their contract after six or seven years, they become free agents and they might move on. It'd be very easy for me, having worked with these guys for six years, or if you go back to even when they're in the minor leagues, 
and I get to know them seven, eight, nine, ten years just to be like, all right, I'm done with him. But what happens when suddenly you need something for whatever hmm. it might be? Maybe they come back to the organization at the end and it's, oh, now you need me again. I haven't heard from you for five years. Or um, we had a player retire a couple of years ago and he was the leader of the team. His name is Alex Gordon, quiet leader, respected uh, everywhere, community around the league, blue collar, hard worker, the, the type of guy that everybody would love. And it was a huge deal that he was retiring. Well, I needed to gather information from former teammates that have moved on to other places. And I ended up reaching out to 14 guys via Zoom. This is during the pandemic. And my, and my hit rate on it was 14 for 14. Now, hmm. part of it was that they respected him. But they didn't have to do the testimonial the tribute to him through me. They could have gone elsewhere. But every single one of them returned my call. For the most part, I want to say that was out of respect for him. But if I didn't treat them right, if I hadn't stayed in touch with these guys as they'd moved on to San Diego, uh, Eric Hosmer, um, to Cincinnati, Mike Moustakis, to Milwaukee, Lorenzo Kane, these guys were long gone. Uh, by the way, all of them in the National League, good chance I'm not going to see them a whole lot. But because every now and then I stay in touch, I was making those deposits. And so every single one of them called back. What did that do for me? It gave me more credibility because I was the only one that got this guy. I was the only one that got that guy. You could tune into our broadcast and see all of that. So it was uh, it was a feather in my cap, but none of it happens if they're like, I'm not calling this dude back. He only, you know, and so last example with this, Eric Hosmer, who's a San Diego Padre, um, was very close to them when he was here. Um, we have not faced him since. He's been gone for a lot of years now. But anytime I see a milestone, or something personal, you know, whether it's a player that has a child born or whether they get married or whether someone in the family passes away. Just a quick text. Hey, thinking of you um, and your family, uh, my condolences. Or, hey, congrats on, on, um, on you know, your thousand pit or, or whatever. And that's it without an ask. Just so you stay a little bit relevant. You cared about them when they were here. What are you going to stop caring about them now? So you make mm -hmm. that deposit. And what do you have to lose? I mean, nothing. So Eric Hosmer just got married a couple of weeks ago. I waited a couple of days after the wedding because I'm sure there are a thousand other people texting him. And after a couple of days, I just texted him. Hey, dude, you're probably on some exotic island, but just wanted to say congratulations to you guys. Welcome to the club. Um, all my best. Hope to see you soon. That's it. That, that, that's how you build the trust. And the second you give it up is the second that all that work you put in goes away and you got to start all over again. It sounds when you say, you know, oh, you got to build trust. It sounds like such a chore. But what you're describing is very simple. I mean, literally, yes. we live in a world where everybody posts what's going on. It takes one quick second to, to send a text like that, to make a little call, to send a little postcard or whatever it is that you need to do to make those deposits. Uh, and, you know, you, you mentioned in the good times and the bad, which next E in your team, which is the empathy part, right? I mean, the difference between empathy and sympathy, one is, you know, making that person's problem your problem versus understanding what it's like to be in their situation. How does empathy play in your role? Well, it's everything from this standpoint. It, it, I, I truly believe that when you, I'll use this expression over and over again with empathy, when you can walk in someone else's shoes, that then goes back to the teeth when you can empathize with them, when you can understand and live their life just a little bit, you're, you're more likely to set yourself up to be trusted. Now, you have to do it. We could change out the A, by the way, uh, from accountability to authenticity. 
Because if you're just faking your way through this and it's not real, for the most part, people will figure out. If not right away, they'll figure it out eventually. But let, let's talk about the empathy a little bit. It is so easy for the average person in life to sit there and say, oh, and, and fill in the blank, whatever the sport is, whether it's baseball or, oh, they're just a bunch of overpaid athletes or, oh, I can you believe that they're arguing over this amount of money or, oh, well, I, I remember um, when Albert Pujols left St. Louis for Los Angeles to play for the Angels. And I think I heard somebody saying, I, I, I don't remember the numbers, but, you know, if it was $300 million from the Angels and, and let's say he was leaving because it was instead of, like $220 million, let's say, $240 million. What what's the difference between three hundred million and two hundred forty million? Uh, sixty million. You would leave that money on the table too, but you wouldn't leave that money on the table either, right? It's hard for most of us to understand what that kind of money looks like, and so we get we get locked into this what I call this ooh and ah uh, phase. Uh, I describe it this way: if name the movie star, the musician, or whoever celebrity you love the most. If they were to be walking down the street across from you, would you nod or say, hey, I'm so-and-so, I love your work, nice to meet you? Or would you go, ooh, because <laughs> most people do. Yeah, they That's do. awkward. That, right, but that's awkward. Like, they're famous, they're celebrities, but you know what they crave more than anything is just being treated normally. They're not demanding mm -hmm. it. Uh, there, there's there's no reason why they have to get it. Look, they're on center stage. All of this comes with it. The 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 public eye, the pressure, and and they deserve all of that. I mean, outside of paparazzi and crazy things, look, they, this is what they signed up for. But it goes a long way to be able to understand and recognize that that's uncomfortable. So how can I make them a little bit more comfortable? What does it do when I treat them like a normal human being? Because that's a break from from the microscope that they're under. And so when you can do that, you empathize with the fact that they're under a lot of pressure, don't make their life more awkward, and they're probably more willing then to talk to you and to have a normal conversation. They welcome that. Here's the other thing, too, that I really like to say. Yes, all these guys. I mean, think about from baseball terms, the, the minimum is, you know, well over half a million dollars a year. That, that's for the lowest end player. Now, they got to stay in the league. They got to stay there for the whole year to make that. Uh, once they go back to the minor leagues, it's less money. But Life's pretty good, right? Half a million is the low end yeah. and the high end is 10, 20, 30 million dollars a year. That doesn't mean, and we all know this, right? Money doesn't buy happiness. That doesn't mean that they aren't going home to something. And so when you catch someone in a bad mood, you don't know what it's about. They could be going home to marital problems. They could have a sick mother, a sick relative, a sick child, uh, uh, dealing with mental health. It could be any of this type of stuff. So when you can instead, instead of being judgmental, you can ask the question, how are you? Uh, you know, can I help? What's going on? It, it, that's empathy. And that, that is walking in someone else's shoes. It goes a long way. And I'm using this describing athletes. But if I could do it with athletes, you know, multimillionaires, can anybody do that with anyone? It, it goes a long way. And, and here's the thing about trust, about empathy, about all these uh, elements is not everybody understands or figures it out or has been taught it. So when you can do it, you're a step ahead of everybody else. It's so easy. Like you said before, it's so simple. But if no one else is doing it, then you're ahead of the game.
Well, I think today in today's world that we're living in, empathy is kind of one of those things that goes out the window. We look at people now and we turn them into uh, things, right? This is an influencer. This is a baseball player. This is a football player, whatever it is. They, we, we take the human out of it. I think we as the audience take the human out of it. Uh, and and we, we kind of freak out on our own. Yeah, it's cool to see a professional athlete in person and maybe shake hands or, or say hello or take a picture. But you're absolutely right. They're still human beings, right? They're still the type of person who has issues, problems on a day-to-day. They have loved ones who are just as normal and they bleed just like we do. They fear and they cry just like we all do. You know, empathy's very, very huge, especially, you know, when I love Zig Ziglar stuff. I've been going through Zig stuff uh, like crazy. And he talks a lot about empathy, understanding where your prospect is coming from, that you, you know, they have problems and you have a solution to that problem. You're not making a sale. You're trying to catch a selfie real quick with a celebrity. You're trying to interact with people. Most people, I believe, are good. And if you just have a conversation with them, you'll figure that out. Now, accountability is, is the next one you got, right? Go for it. Just, just one final thought on it is that it goes both ways, too. I, I mean, mm-hmm. I'll never tell a player they have to sign. The, you know, like you'll hear from a fan that says, that guy never signs for me. And I'm like, well, um, I saw him sign the last seven days. But the impression that they got was that they didn't get the autograph. So, you know, we all have a chance to make an impression. You can't please everybody. But the other thing that I try to remember on my end, right, like I always like to say, um, you know, they don't come to see me. They come to see the players. But because I've been here so long, uh, most of the players have come and go and I'm still here. So a lot of times fans feel like they know me better than they know the players just because I've been coming into their living rooms, whether they like it or not, in some cases, <laughs> all the time. But it's amazing what happens. Um, so I don't see myself as a celebrity or anything like that. But eventually I came to understand that while I don't feel comfortable signing a baseball because there's no value in getting my signature at all, there's less value in me saying, oh, now to some kid, nah, you don't want mine. It's not, well, now you've let this kid down. So it's mm-hmm. like, you know, make someone's, make someone's day. And it's amazing what happens years later, somebody will say to me, and of course I don't remember because I meet, you know, thousands and thousands of people uh, on a regular basis. Hey, you took a picture with my kids seven years ago um, and we posted it on Facebook or you did this or the other night I was being interviewed on a podcast. Um, from a guy that, that is now a, a baseball blogger and podcast host. And he said, the, the, the day that my, my little baby was born, I, I sent a picture in, and, and I didn't know who he was. I sent a picture in on Twitter saying his first baseball game, and when you were up on the screen and we were watching you and I'm holding the baby, um, he's like, and you commented. And it was the coolest thing ever. And it's like, it doesn't take a whole lot to make someone's day. So the, the, there's two sides to it as well, is that if you open yourself up and you treat people well that might be having a bad day themselves, you never know when you can make someone's day. And it changes everything. It really changes everything, not only for that person, but for your life as well. Like, I don't know about you, but joy, giving joy, like, like giving things and making other people happy is one of the most intoxicating things that you could possibly do when you provide that kind of joy. Uh, and, and, you know, really, it really comes down to that accountability. And, and I think what you're discussing here, where you're being the person who can go out and do these things, who to be kind, to go out and leave those comments, to take that picture, to sign that baseball, whatever it is, 
it, I think part of that is is that accountability, right? To understand that you you're the one who's going to show up every day. You're the one who's going to do. You're the one who's going to change your mindset, shift your perspective, so that you can continue, right? Yeah, no, no doubt about it. And I think that the accountability piece I mentioned before that Joe Girardi described it as taking stuff for others. Who has the confidence in, in whatever your walk of life, whatever your profession? Who has the confidence to stand up when something goes wrong and say that was that was me. My bad. Mm. How often do we hear people say, before you even get, this is what happened. Well, it, it wasn't me. Mm-hmm. Well, I did this. It, it's, it's human nature in us to do that. One of my favorite stories that I, I like to tell a lot of audiences is, is uh, about a game that we had in St. Petersburg, Florida. So it was the Kansas City Royals and the Tampa Bay Rays back in, I think, 2016. And the Royals were the defending world champions. And they, they very much had ambitions of repeating. And they'd been to the World Series two years in a row. They fell short. They didn't make the playoffs. But, you know, they were good enough that any moment, any game could be the difference in making it or not. And they're losing by one run. And it's, the I think, sixth inning. And they got two on base and, and two outs. And a base hit ties the game. An extra base hit gives them the lead. And... Eric Cosmo, who I mentioned before, he's taking a lead off of first base and he gets picked off by the pitcher. And oh. I remember thinking, oh my, oh my God, if, if they lose this game because of that, if they lose by one run, and then, you know, what if they fall one game short in the playoffs? Like, is this a moment? And that's the way we think as broadcast. Like, you know, I'm doing a post-game show and you, you think over the course of the game, your storylines could change 20 times because this is a big deal. And then suddenly, well, it's not a big deal anymore. Oh my gosh, he gave up six runs in the first inning, but then he scored 10, so that is less than, you know, so it, it's constantly changing. So at that point, we're, we're thinking we, we're going to have to talk about this. Well, they came back to win, so it wasn't a big deal. But as we're in our post-game show, we, we cut down to the locker room, to the post-game interviews, and, and a reporter asked him about it. And they said, hey, what happened on that play? And he goes, I screwed it up. I, it's on me. I'm, gl- I'm grateful that my teammates bailed me out because if we lost this game by one run – it would have been my fault, which is exactly mm. what I was thinking. Later that night, uh, I'm out for a drink with uh, with him and his family. I don't go out a whole lot with the players. I'm, I'm getting uh, too old to hang with guys that are half my age, and you know I'm more likely to hang out with their with their families when they're on the road, or their parents, or their uncles, and and that's what was going on here. So uh, you know, his mom, his dad, his uncle, and 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 really, you know, we're just hanging out, private conversation. But I, I know he won't mind me. I wrote about it in the book too talking about this but um he we're sitting there and somebody asks him uh we're in st petersburg florida and somebody you know sitting outside beautiful night and somebody says hey what happened on that play which i know it wasn't me because i I would never ask a player uh about a play once we're off the clock so to speak and he says well i think it was his brother asked him and he says well i dove back in he got me he tagged me out i stand up and the first base coach says to me haas I totally misread his move. I messed up the whole thing. I totally let you down on that. It's my bad. Because those first, people don't always know what first base coaches do. They could spend hours. They get their hours before players. They could spend hours looking at the same pitcher's move over and over and over again, trying to read it to understand this is when you go. This is when you this. You know, this is when he's going home. This is when he's going to first. And so the first base coach had misread the move. Mm. And nobody ever knew it. So now imagine if you're the first base coach and if Eric Cosmer says, well, I was just following the first base coach, 
the media then runs over to the first base coach, and it will be the rare post-game interview with the first base coach, which nobody ever wants. Hey, what would you see on that one? And now he's got to explain what he messed up. But now imagine being that first base coach, and the next day you open up the paper or you look online and you see Eric Hosmer saying, I just screwed it up. I, I could have let my teammate. Wow, this guy's got my back, and he's the star and face of the franchise right now. So, so there's the one end of it. Now imagine the other end of it of being Eric Hosmer and having the confidence to say, I'm confident enough in myself to take the fall for this one, even if it's not my fault. And so that's how you build good culture. That's how you build all these small ball skills is by taking care of each other. When he does that, you, you think that first base coach, he'll do anything for that player for the rest of his life because of the trust that's built. Um, and there's empathy in that too, understanding I don't want to throw him under the bus. So it all, it all kind of pulls together. That's my favorite accountability story. That's the camaraderie, though. I mean, that's that's exactly. I love that's a, that's a great accountability story because it really shows you what a team dynamic looks like. You know, when when it's time to to fall on the sword a little bit and just be like, you know what, this is my fault. Like, I'm willing to take it. He's he's already getting all the flack for whatever mistakes he makes, as well as the and the, and the first base coach. They don't get any of the praise. They don't get any of the upside when they when they take off the second and they're safe. They don't get any of the upside when they come back to first and they're That's safe. Right. Nothing, right? But you make one mistake and all of a sudden it could be different. Yeah, I love the accountability story. The last one we got here is makeup, right? And and you know this is it's something to me like it sounded to me more like standards, right? I wake up every yeah. day, I go run my six miles, I do my workout. It's my it's my standard. It's who I am at the core. And when you're describing makeup, I kind of felt that kind of connection to it. Did I get it about right? Yeah, you did. Because I, I think when you say the word core, that's it. So I always make a joke to my audiences that, you know, being on TV with an ugly face like this, uh, you know, high definition, I, I have to wear a little bit of makeup. But that's the kind of makeup, and I always say, that you put on your skin. The kind of makeup I'm talking about is in your heart. It's the core. There you go. It's the core of who you are. And, you know, I, I think about this one a lot because I don't think you have to have a bunch of nice guys to win. I also don't think that nice guys finish last. But I do think that in every sport and every profession and business, we are tempted to ignore the makeup we are tempted to ignore the character because we get lured in by the talent and of course the talent matters the question becomes when do you sacrifice or ignore some character flaws not everybody's perfect when do you ignore all of that or how much of a of of a priority do you make it and so i always know that that for the kansas city royals and i've seen other championship teams that do this too that they are more relational than transactional. Other teams will say, hey, this didn't work. Let's move on to the next one. Let's move on to the next one. Let's move on to the next one. Whereas the Royals, of course, they're looking to, to scout talent, develop talent. Uh, but, but they're also looking for who that person is. Because you never know when, when that's going to matter. Well, it matters all the time. But how do we measure that? And I know you got all your culture index and all of your personality stuff out there. But the story that I love to tell is about a longtime player, now since retired for seven, eight years, named Raul Abanez. And Raul Abanez was beloved in every single big league clubhouse that he ever played in. Started with Kansas City and then uh, 
you know, played for the Yankees, played for the Phillies. I mean, big market teams played for the Los Angeles Angels, was also up in Seattle. Uh, good left-handed home run hitter. Uh, Cuban roots, family born in Cuba. His dad actually, uh, and I never knew this, he told me this from my book, his, his um, dad was, uh, you know, highly successful, well-paid chemist in, hmm. in Cuba in the 60s. And I didn't know this, that that you could get out of Cuba in the, like, say, late 60s, early 70s, not by defecting, but by buying your way out, basically working for the government. So to sacrifice ultimately for his family, his dad, this is before Raul was born, he had two older brothers that were born in Cuba. His dad gave up that, that you know, highly paid, highly respected job as a chemist to work and pick sugarcane in the sugarcane fields. And that got them out. And he ended up in the Bronx, New York, where he had a low level job, um, but trying to support his family. And, um, and, and, you know, all these years later, Raul makes it to the big leagues. Um, and, and interesting, too, that 40 years after Raul was born, he's born in late May of 1972. Um, 40 years after he's born, I think 2012, Raul gets called in in the Bronx in New York in the playoff game against the Baltimore Orioles to pinch hit in the ninth inning for A-Rod, Alex Rodriguez of all guys. And he hits a pinch hit home run to send it to extra innings and they win right down the street from where he was born. So really wow. cool stuff. But now fast forward two years. Uh, it's 2014. The Kansas City Royals have not been in the playoffs since 1985, 29 years. The Los Angeles Angels cut Ibanez. I mean, at 42 years old, he's not really productive anymore, and the Royals sign him. Uh, and he, he, they bring him in. Uh, again, one of the nicest guys in the world. In his stint with the Royals, before he retires, he hits 188 with two home runs. There's nothing in that that would jump out to anyone. So why is it that the Kansas city Royals and the players on that team, all these young guys sit there and say, Raul Abanez was a major part of us breaking this 29 year playoff drought. The reason is in July, a month after he got there, he called a players only meeting. They'd lost four games in a row. For those that don't know, they don't do a lot of meetings in baseball. Your meetings might be scouting reports, but it's not like football, rah, rah, jump on the table. You can't do that 162 games a year. So he calls this players only meeting and the way Ibanez explains it to me, and this was after the fact, because they won't talk about that kind of stuff. It's private when it's going on. We just knew the doors were closed. We're in Chicago. Uh, it's, it's a day after the all-star break. They've lost four in a row. This is finally supposed to be their year. And uh, we can't get in because there's a players only meeting going on. And basically what he said was you guys don't understand how much talent, how much athleticism, how much defense, how great your bullpen is. He said, I've got friends, superstars all over the league, and they all keep telling me, if you guys make the playoffs, we don't want to face you. So Ooh. he gives that speech, and they go on to win something like 27 of the next 32 games. They make the playoffs. They end that drought, that 29-year drought. Uh, they get into the playoffs. They lose in Game 7 of the World Series to the San Francisco Giants, and those players to this day will say Ibanez was a major part. He wasn't even on the playoff roster. They didn't even suit him up for the playoffs, but – that makeup that he had, that who he was, uh, the respect, the relationships, everything that he had built in a long storied career, everybody listened. And I'll, I'll, I'll finish up the makeup thought with this because I use this in my speech. Uh, I asked him about this for my book um, and I ended up titling his chapter, Read the Room. And the book, by the way, is a combination of, of baseball and business stories. He says to me, because I asked him, how did you know that that was the time for the meeting, right? Because if you call a big meeting, you got to make sure that they're going to listen to you you got to mm -hmm. make sure that it's the right time. You have to be able to look and understand when. 
He said, reading the room is about feel. It's understanding when and where, having the empathy piece to know that guy doesn't want to talk today and knowing the different personalities. If you're a bull in a china shop, you never notice. He picked his spot and then his makeup and who he was gave him the voice to be able to, to rally those troops. Such power. And we know in our own organizations who's a cancer and who's bringing in the energy, who's got that core. And they may not be the most productive, just like you're talking about in your story, but they bring so much more to the table. They lay it on here. They bring the energy up. Everything's better because they are part of the organization versus without. Joel, you've been an amazing guest. You have an amazing story. You've had such great history over there in Kansas City. Uh, before we head out, if people want to get a copy of your book, get uh, get an earful of your podcast, how can they do that? Well, a podcast is easy, right? It's up there like like you guys. I'm not as big as you guys, but but it's up there. So just search on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast for Rounding the Bases. I'm all over social media. And then the website, you know, if anybody wants to get the book, which is on Amazon, uh, if you want to reach out, anything podcast related or speaking, I'm going to speak and do keynotes all over the country about building championship culture and all of these elements, joelgoldbergmedia.com. So I'm all over. I'm easy to find. And and it, uh, I appreciate being on. And I seriously, I'll, I'll go back to it again. The energy, it's infectious. I love it. it it's great. Thank you very much. And I don't have to ask my last question, which was the uh, testimonial, what your experience was like. You just dropped it for me. So thank you very much. Ladies and gents, look, here's what it comes down to. What Joel described here is really when you look in the mirror, this is what I talk about all the time. When I look in the mirror, these are the things that I'm looking for, right? I want to build something where you know where I am. Every single day that we do this show is building the trust with you. You know where you can find me. You know I'm going to show up every single day. I, I talk to so many different people. I want to know what's going out in the market. That's my empathy piece, my accountability. I'm going to show up. You guys are going to make sure that you're on my Instagram and you're going to see me say, yep, here's my six mile marker. I did it. Right. And, and at the core, this is who I am. I believe most people are good. And if you have conversations with people, you can be empathetic towards their problems. You can help them solve their problems. Maybe you're through your product or service, whatever it is. What Joel is talking about here, having that team mentality is so powerful. So I encourage you all to go to his website, joelgoldbergmedia.com, uh, joelgoldbergmedia.com, and find out more about his speaking engagements, find out more about his book, Small Ball, Big Results, find out more about his podcast, Rounding the Bases, uh, and one more time, joelgoldbergmedia.com, joelgoldbergmedia.com. Joel, thank you very much for being on the show. Thank you for taking the time. And, uh, you know, baseball season is uh, right around the corner again. Another 164 games coming around the coop. Uh, are you excited? Always excited. It's a grind. It's the best grind. Can't wait for it. And, um, yeah, I appreciate you having me on. This is awesome. All right, ladies. All right, Joel. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. We'll see you guys again manana. Peace. And we're out. Thank you for listening to the Business Bros Podcast. Are you looking to get more clients or to increase your income? Hernan, the Business Bro, can help you generate referrals through the power of podcasting. And James, the Insurance Bro with Pipeline Insurance, can help you effectively add insurance to your existing business. If you are ready to create wealth today and generational wealth for tomorrow, email businessbros at csfirst.com to schedule a free consultation. Or join the Business Bros Network, www.businessbros.biz.